0: the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit God is one and may his grace and his blessing be with us now and unto the age of all ages amen I greet you beloved in the Lord on this the sixth Sunday of Pentecost and in our gospel reading from John chapter 16 we hear the sweet words of our Savior inviting us Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. With these words, dear brothers and sisters, our Lord invites us to do something that should be at the very core of our Christian lives. Our Lord is inviting us to pray. And for this reason, I propose we spend the next few minutes speaking about the life of prayer in only three points. First, what is prayer? There are many definitions of prayer, but this morning, allow me to share with you a definition of prayer from one of the great Orthodox spiritual masters, Saint Theophon the Recluse. He teaches us that the principal thing is to stand before God with the mind in the heart and to go on standing before him unceasingly, day and night, until the end of life. This is his definition of prayer, and we see it involves three distinct aspects. The first aspect of prayer is to stand before God. Sometimes we mistakenly believe that prayer must involve words or requests to God, but in reality the deepest prayer is simply to stand before God in all humility and to wait on Him as the Holy Prophet King David heard, be still and know that I am God. There is a beautiful story of the French Catholic saint Father Jean-Baptiste Marie Vianney illustrating this point. Father John spent hours in church every day, and his friends said to him, what are you doing there all the time? And he replied, I am praying. Praying, they asked, you must have a great many things to ask God for. And with gentleness, he replied to them and said, I am not asking God for anything. Well, they said, what are you doing? And Father John replied, I just sit in front of the altar and look at God. And God sits in the altar and he looks at me. This is a beautiful illustration of what prayer is at its very deepest. It is the relationship by which we stand before the living God. The second aspect of prayer is that we stand before God with the mind in the heart. And this might seem confusing at first, but essentially it speaks to us about the different forms of prayer. Prayer oftentimes begins on our lips when we use words to pray. And with time, that prayer begins to enter our mind so that this oral or this verbal prayer is transformed to mental prayer. But the deepest form of prayer is when that prayer descends from our mind and into our heart, so that the mental prayer becomes spiritual or noetic prayer. And this is what it means to speak about prayer of the heart. In the church, when we speak about the heart, Of course, we don't mean the muscle in our chest that pumps blood throughout our bodies. But in the church, the heart signifies the deep self, the spiritual center of the total human person. So, for example, later in the liturgy, when the priest says, lift up your hearts, It is a call for us to focus all of our senses, all our attention, our intellect, our emotions, indeed all our being to God in prayer. And this is the deepest form of prayer. Not only are there different forms of prayers, i.e. oral, mental, and spiritual, but there are also different ways of approaching prayer depending on where we are in our relationship with God. In His teaching on prayer, our Lord tells us, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. And for everyone, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And thus we have here an image of one person who simply asks and receives, another person who knocks and has the door open to him, and yet another person who must seek before he can find. And this image of these three different persons in prayer, they represent three different stages of one's prayer life. The person who is invited simply to ask and receive is the one who is active in his prayer, the one who has a strong relationship with God. He knows very well how to ask because he has a great deal of experience in prayer. He is so familiar with the Lord that his prayer is nearly effortless. And thus he enjoys a special boldness and an audacity in his prayer. The person who is invited to knock on the other hand does not have the same boldness in prayer. Perhaps he is one who doesn't pray regularly Perhaps some sin has separated him from God such that prayer is no longer familiar to him. It's no longer comfortable for him. Our Lord tells such a person, knock and the door will be open to you. Yes, the door will eventually be opened, but it's going to take more effort than the person who simply asks and receives. Because as of now, the door is closed. And this door is closed because the person is away from God. And it may take a great deal of knocking. It may even take bloody and bruised knuckles for the door to be open. But the door will be opened after some efforts. But at the very least, this person knows where the door is. And this person at the very least has faith that God will open the door for him just as the prodigal son remembered where the house of his father was and made his way back to his father. The person who is told, seek and you will find, is in a worse position than the other two. Such a person is separated from God. He has no idea where the door is. He has no idea how to even ask. Perhaps sin and a worldly life have caused him to forget that there is even a door, let alone where it is. And in order for such a person to pray, he must first diligently seek God. There is no guarantee that his quest will be easy, but Christ does promise that he will eventually find him if he seeks diligently. And so just as there are three different forms or many different forms of prayers, there are likewise different approaches to prayer, depending on where a person is in his relationship with God. Christ does answer the person who asks, just as he answers the one who knocks and the one who seeks. But the path to getting that answer in prayer is different. And for some, it's very easy because of their relationship with God. And for others, it requires a bit more diligent effort. The third aspect of prayer is that we must stand before God unceasingly, day and night until the end of life. And of course, St. Theophon here is quoting the words of the Holy Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, when he says, pray without ceasing. And our blessed intercessor, the saint of this church, the Holy Gregory, the theologian, he said something similar. He said, remember God more often than you breathe. And all of this refers to the fact that prayer must be natural for the Christian, just as natural as eating or breathing. Sometimes people, unfortunately, divide prayer from the other activities in their lives. But the truth is that Christians do everything prayerfully. Prayer is not simply something we do. We don't compartmentalize our prayer to only specific times in our lives. But rather, everything we do, we do it prayerfully. We unite the action that we're doing with prayer. And that produces a completely new And transfigured outlook on life. So this is one definition of prayer from an Orthodox saint. Prayer is to stand before God with the mind and the heart and to go on standing before Him unceasingly. Second, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Above all else, we pray because our Lord Jesus Christ prayed. If you read the Gospel, If you read the account of his life and his ministry, you will see that every major decision and event in his life was preceded by prayer. Our Savior was fond of praying by himself or even outside in the open air. The St. Mark tells us in chapter 1 of his gospel, now in the morning having risen a long while before daylight, He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And from this verse, we see that our Lord's prayer began while it was still dark and continued even after the sun rose. In other verses, we see that our Lord sometimes prayed while it was light, and he continued his prayer until it became dark. After he performed the wonder of multiplying the five loaves and the two fish, he departed to a mountain to pray until it was evening. And from all of these descriptions, we begin to see a pattern. We begin to see that our Lord lived a life of prayer despite the hectic demands of his ministry. And the reason that he could do this is because prayer was part of his very identity. And this is the primary reason why we pray, because our Lord Jesus Christ is the perfection of humanity. He teaches us what it means to be human. He accepted to take our weak and sinful flesh while remaining God in order to teach us how to be human. In this world, we strive to imitate Him in everything because He is the very definition of perfection and beauty for each and every human person. So since He prayed, we must pray as well. We also pray to commune with God. When God created mankind in Adam and Eve, He gave our souls something so unique Something that no other animal has. He gave our souls the ability to commune with him in prayer of all of the creatures on the earth Only the human soul has the capacity to commune with God through prayer and Adam and Eve were supposed to use this communion to maintain their life in paradise but sadly they abandoned this communion with God They cut themselves off from God, who is the source of life, and the result was death, and sin, and sickness, and all of the evil that we see in the world today. But today we Christians are lucky, because through our baptism, through our chrismation, Through receiving the Holy Mysteries, we are able to commune with God once again in prayer in the midst of all of this tragedy. And remember the tragedy that we witnessed the day before last in Egypt. How can we get past this? How can we survive this evil that is in the world? And the answer is that we can today commune with the living God. And this communion with the living God is the only way that we can survive all of the tragic elements of life in the modern world. We also pray to offer thanksgiving to God. Offering thanksgiving to God is absolutely crucial in the life of every human being. If you study carefully the rites of our Orthodox Church, you will see that every single liturgy, every single service, every single prayer begins with the prayer of thanksgiving. In addition, the Church recommends that we pray early in the morning to offer thanksgiving to God at the beginning of the day. And have you ever wondered why? Why are we so focused on thanksgiving? And the answer is quite simple. We thank God at the very beginning of our day to remember all of the good he has bestowed upon us. And that way, when we encounter the bad things throughout the day, we will remember them in the context of the good things that God has given us. Remembering the good things and how God has not abandoned us will help us to get through all of the bad things that invariably will happen in our lives. As our Lord said, and the last sentence of today's gospel, in the world you will have tribulation. He didn't say maybe, he didn't say if you're a bad person. He said, in the world, and he's speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to the righteous, he said, you will. Have tribulation but then he tells us but be of good cheer I have overcome the world and Thanksgiving enables us to see Christ's victory over the world we also pray to be productive believe it or not prayer makes us productive Christians in the world when we pray God sends His divine grace to energize and to encourage us to do His work in this world. And we see the fruits of this prayer, prayer as something productive. We see this throughout the deserts of Egypt. At one time, the deserts of Egypt were the most barren and inhospitable places in the world. But starting from Ava Antony the Great and continuing today with all of the monks who continue to inhabit the desert, we see these deserts have become oases bearing much fruit. Anyone who has visited the monastery of Ava Makarios or Ava Bishoi uh, can attest to the fact that they are quite productive. They are places where people from all over the world come to hear about the fruits of prayer. They come to see the fruits of a life that is dedicated to God. This is something amazing that we see in these deserts, that they have become centers, centers of spirituality that are known throughout the world. And what is the secret of how these inhospitable places became so productive and so fruitful? The answer is quite simple. It is prayer. It is what the monks are doing there day after day, minute after minute. It's because of the prayer that the mysteries of the church become effective and alive. Today we are here to pray. And at the end of our liturgy, we are going to receive the fruits of our prayer, which is that this bread and the swine, which are now placed on the altar, are going to be transformed mystically into the very body and the precious blood of Christ. That is the fruit of prayer. Prayer makes things alive. It invites the grace of God to work in our lives. These are only a fraction of the reasons why we pray. There are many other reasons why we pray, but for the sake of time, I'm sharing with you only a few so that you can think about them in the coming days. Third and finally, dear brothers and sisters, let us speak a little bit briefly about how we can pray in light of our Lord's invitation to us this morning. There are several aspects of establishing a successful prayer life with the help of God. First of all, we must ask our spiritual father for a prayer rule. A prayer rule is something that outlines when where and what we will pray. And too often we get sucked into the erroneous Western view that prayer is purely personal. It's something only between you and God, but nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, we find the desert fathers of the fourth and the fifth centuries asking their spiritual fathers for a prayer rule and saying, Abba, give me a word that I may live by. We must involve our spiritual fathers in our prayer life to establish a rule that we can live by. It makes no sense for us to establish our own rule, because oftentimes what happens is we keep our own rule for a couple of weeks, and then it fizzles, it fades away. Our spiritual father will hold us accountable. He won't give us more than we can handle. He will give us only what we can handle but having Him there in the picture will help us to be accountable and it will help us grow. And when people come to me and ask for a prayer rule, I personally prefer that a person have a small rule, something small that they can do regularly as a habit and never not do it, rather than have a very long rule that is constantly being broken. Because once you have a rule and then you break it, then you drift away from God and then sin enters into your life and then it's much harder to come back. It's much better that we do something simple, something short, but we do it with our heart, we do it regularly and we continue building on that small seed and that way we can grow throughout our lives. The Spiritual Father will help us in that goal. Secondly, we need to have the will to pray. And this is the point that most of us including my own weakness struggle with Oftentimes we simply don't have the desire to pray We remember the words of Saint Melitius of Sardis when he says prayer requires diligence Effort and personal ardor and then God will be its teacher I know that we have all grown accustomed to an easy and comfortable life in this modern world. Everything is easy for us. Everything is an app or a website away. And in light of this, I wish, I wish I could tell you this morning that developing a prayer life is just as easy as downloading an app or going to a website. But the truth is it's not. The truth is it is not that easy. Prayer requires struggle. Prayer requires hard work. Ava Agathon said, if you are not struggling in prayer, then you are not praying. Also Evagrius of Pontus said, the Lord gives prayer to those who pray, meaning we have to get out there and pray. We can't just read books about prayer. We can't just think about prayer. In order to learn prayer, you have to get out there and pray. You have to force yourself. You have to struggle. And when God begins to see that struggle, and when He sees how much effort you're putting into your prayer, then He will send His divine grace, and He will help you. And then you will begin to learn how to pray. Thirdly, we must learn to pray with attentiveness. How often I see people oftentimes rushing through their prayers. Their only focus is on getting through the words as quickly as possible. But how can this be prayer? True prayer means bringing the meaning of every word of our prayer into our heart. The words of prayer must slowly sink into the depth of our heart in order to transform and enliven our heart. We have to slow down our minds in order to appreciate God and our moments of prayer to Him. In the modern world, it's common for our minds to always be racing. But when it comes to prayer, we must slow our minds down and we must focus on the words we're praying. There is a lot more that we can say about prayer. And to be honest, a decent homily on prayer would take months, if not years. But for now, this is just an introduction. And before we conclude, I want to recommend to those of you who want to enrich your prayer life, I want to recommend two books. The first one is called Beginning to Pray by Metropolitan Anthony Bloom. And the second is called The Art of Prayer, which is a compilation of Orthodox Fathers. Now, just as I said earlier, remember, no one is going to learn perfect prayer by just reading about prayer. Prayer has to be experienced. But nonetheless, these books may have helpful perspectives to help you in your own struggle. So reading these books is not a substitute of praying but rather these books might be an aid to help you in your own struggle. And I'm happy that today we had a chance to speak about prayer because these days, especially in our Coptic Orthodox Church, we are all exposed to many trials and tribulations of various kinds and we find ourselves in constant need of help from God. We saw that the day before last with the horrific and tragic attack on our buses going to the monastery in Elminia, and the children who died, and the family of eight from Chicago who were among the victims who were killed. In these times, we must pray. In these times, it is good for us to pray and to call upon the Lord to use, for example, the words of Psalm 53, to say, save me, O God, by thy name. The name of God in its very essence is powerful, such that the Proverbs say, the name of the Lord is of great strength. When we are in a tribulation, we must pray. This is why the church asks us to pray constantly throughout the day. Why does the church want us to always be praying? So that we don't forget So that we don't forget that we have a helper, that we have a deliverer, that we have a savior. Every time we find ourselves in a tribulation, every time ISIS attacks our people, every time strangers rise up against us and the powerful are demanding our very life, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Our God is great. Our Lord tells us, call upon me in the day of affliction and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. Our Lord is Lord over all tribulations. He is the Lord over all strangers rising up against us. He is the Lord over all of our powerful enemies. He is the Lord over every difficult day. He helps us in times of tribulation, and He will deliver us. For this reason, I exhort you this morning, pray. Do not be shy. Pray. Open your hearts to God in the day of your affliction, and God will be quick to hear you and to answer your call. May God grant each and every one of us to accept our Lord's invitation to pray and to ask so that we may all receive His goodness for all eternity, to our Lord be all glory, to the All-Holy Father, to the All-Holy Son, and to the All-Holy Spirit, now and forever, and unto the age of all ages. Amen.